Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Father Andrew Mattingly. I am a Catholic priest in Kansas City, Missouri, and this is a podcast where I post homilies and random other stuff that I might teach or speak about. Hope you find something useful and maybe even inspiring. God bless you. As I was looking ahead to the next five Sundays in Lent, uh, I thought it would be good to systematically go through what are the three sort of traditional exterior practices of Lent, which are prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. And then also to go over what are what you can you could summarize as the two traditional interior dispositions that the church calls us to adopt in Lent, which is one repentance for our own sins, and two, mercy towards other people's sins, forgiveness. Right? These themes, prayer, fasting, almsgiving, and then repentance and mercy, have been the heart and soul of the living of Lent since the church's earliest years. And so with our Lord's 40-day fast in the gospel today, I thought we'd start with fasting. The first thing I think it's important to note is that I think a lot of people may have the thought in their mind that Jesus, during this 40-day fast, helped himself out, so to speak, with his divine nature and making it through. But, but we need to understand that this was, this was a fast underwent willingly by him in his human nature. So he did not eat anything for 40 days, which we know from other examples of this happening in history that this is actually physically possible to survive for 40 days without food. You can't without water, but you can without food. So we know that he actually ate nothing for these 40 days and he felt the full effect of it in his humanity. And therefore in the, in the gospel you have the, probably the understatement of the whole Bible. It says, you know, when the 40 days were over, he was hungry, <laughs> right? Duh. <laughs> um, he would have been famished. Uh, a few years before I was a priest, I happened to be at a Benedictine monastery um, that follows the rule of St. Benedict fairly strictly on a Sunday in Lent. And the monk who was preaching that Sunday uh, kept repeating this refrain throughout his homily. Um, and I don't remember anything else that he said, but I remember this refrain. He kept saying over and over again, he said, do not be afraid of fasting. Love fasting. He probably said that 10 or 15 times. Do not be afraid of fasting. Love fasting. And I, I want to start by just saying the same to you. Do not be afraid of fasting, of, of eating no food for certain extended periods of time. Do not be afraid of it. Um, and try and come to learn to, to love it, actually. So I want to give you a very flyby history of the role that fasting has had during the season of Lent in the church, which for most of church history is far different than the current practice. And then I want to give you four like benefits of fasting from food. Um, these, aren't, these aren't things that I just came up with myself. Some of them are hinted at various liturgical prayers throughout the season of Lent and, and you see them in the lives of the saints, but, but four benefits of, of fasting. And then to conclude, so historically 
for roughly the first 12, 13, 14 centuries of the church, it was the norm that during Lent, every Catholic fasted six days of the week in Lent, unless they had some sort of like legitimate reason not to, they're pregnant or nursing, or they were particularly infirm or sick, or they were children, right? Anybody else, it was expected that every day was a fast day. By every day being a fast day, how that was typically observed is that you would eat nothing until at least the hour of what was called known, which is one of the hours in the liturgy of the hours that would be prayed publicly in churches and monasteries, and that would be about 3 p.m. Or in some places and at certain times, people would fast until sundown, roughly the hour of Vespers, which would be more like 5 p.m. So for over half of the church's history, it was the norm that, you know, if, if, if I was preaching to all of you and, and this was the year 736 AD, for example, right, starting on Wednesday, just four days ago, you would have only eaten one full meal over the last four days like each day. So one full meal on Wednesday, one full meal on Thursday, one full meal. And you, you would have waited to eat that meal until at least 3 p.m. At, at the earliest. Right, so it's, it's helpful for us to have this vision of what the norm was in church history. Starting around the 12, 13, 1400s in different places, it, it started to be allowed for you to add what you might just call a snack <laughs> to the full meal. Uh, the technical term for this is a collation. And the first of these to, to be allowed was like a nighttime snack. So basically you have your one full meal sometime around 3, 5 p.m. And then before you go to bed, you can have a little snack. Right? And then about 200 years ago, it began to be allowed to have a second little collation or snack, if you will, in the morning when you wake up. So a little piece of toast or a muffin or something, you know, and, and then you have your, your, your full meal in the afternoon, and then maybe a small little snack before you go to bed. And you can see that this model of the one full meal and the two really small meals, that's still the structure that we have of fasting today. It just is that we're only required to fast two days in all of Lent, Ash Wednesday and Good Friday, right? Those are the only days where we have to actually eat less food. And the requirement to fast every day in Lent actually persisted, except Sundays, actually persisted all the way up until 1966. A lot of people don't realize that. It's just in the past 50 years that the church has switched these requirements to where no longer are, are six days out of the week during Lent fast days. Um, it's just Ash Wednesday and, and Good Friday. So I want to read to you real quick just a text from St. Ambrose who was the father of the early church, lived in the late 300s. And this will give you a, fa a fairly good image of what would have been typical for preaching early on in Lent in the early church. You read a lot of fathers of the church, like the first Sunday of Lent, almost always their, their preaching is about fasting, prayer, almsgiving, mercy, repentance. And, and when they talk about fasting, it's very much like this. So St. Ambrose said, this was a first Sunday in Lent homily that he gave about whatever it would be, 16, over 1,600 years ago. He said, and, and what kind of Christian is it who will not fast at least until noon, in other words, 3 p.m., during this season? What kind of Christian is he who, though well and able, 
refuses to fast with Moses, with Elijah, and the Lord. And all three of these characters did 40-day fasts. I warn you and I exhort you in the Lord that none among you, unless a sick person or a child, eat or drink before the hour of noon, except on Sundays. Right? So this was, this was typical uh, for most of church history. And I want to point out to you briefly four advantages to bodily fasting. Um, and these are unique advantages to bodily fasting. A lot of times in Lent, people will fast from other things. They'll say, I'm fasting from social media, I'm fasting from this or that. That's great, like, awesome, like, do that. I'm all about fasting from different types of technology. But there's a, there's a unique value um, in bodily fasting, and I wanna draw briefly four, four benefits of that. Three of these come from one of the prefaces during Lent. So the, the big prayer that happens right before the Eucharistic prayer is called the preface, where the priest says, the Lord be with you and with your spirit, lift up your hearts, we lift them up to the Lord. And then there's a long prayer that he prays or sings. There's four of those that the priest can choose from in Lent. One of them is just about bodily fasting. So in that preface, uh, it says, through bodily fasting, you restrain our faults, raise up our minds, and bestow both virtue and its rewards. I'm gonna add a fourth benefit of fasting, but first, fasting restrains our faults. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, through original sin, we, we inherit what's called a, a disordered desire, we often call this concupiscence, where we either prefer lower goods to higher goods. So for example, if you've committed yourself to praying 15 minutes in the evening, and the evening arrives and you choose to watch TV instead of pray the 15 minutes, you're allowing your concupiscence to have its way. You're choosing a lower good of TV over a higher good of conversation with the God of the universe, right? <laughs> so that's your concupiscence that leads you to choose a lower good over a higher good. Our concupiscence also leads us to, to choose good things in excess, too much of a good thing eating two hamburgers when all I really need is one, you know, right? That, that's our, our concupiscence. And one of the solutions to reordering those disordered desires is, is bodily fasting, really denying our senses kind of anything that they want, but bodily fasting in particular, right? Food is about as basic of a need as you get, and so when you, when you deny yourself that basic need, you're sort of beginning to train yourself to say no when the body just wants whatever it wants, right? If we give the body what it wants all the time, we become a slave to those disordered desires. And so we have to very deliberately deny our bodies things that, that it wants from time to time if we want to acquire self-mastery and sort of the reordering of these disordered desires that stem from original sin. St. Jose Maria has a, a quote I really love. He says, you always have to give the body a little less than it wants. Otherwise, it will turn traitor. <laughs> you always have to give the body a little less than it wants. Otherwise, it will turn traitor. So fasting will help reorder, reorder our disordered desires. So in other words, it will restrain our faults. Second, fasting raises up our minds. Um, another way to think about this is fasting sharpens your spiritual senses. So when we give our physical senses everything that they want and we never deny them, that makes our spiritual sensitivity grow dull. 
right? There's, there's this interplay. If I deny my physical senses things that they want, my sensitivity to God and to spiritual things will grow sharper. It, it, it will become keener and more alert, if you will, right? It also helps deliberately raise our minds to higher things when we deny ourselves lower things, right? So Jesus tells Satan when he tempts him to turn the stones into bread, he says, man does not live on bread alone. In other words, our highest needs as human beings are spiritual. And so when we, when we fast, when we deny our body this very basic thing that it wants, which is food, we're kind of telling ourselves, I'm made for something more than just material things. I'm made for spiritual things, right? So, so fasting, it, it, it just reminds us of the ultimate destiny that we have, which is, which is God. Um, so it raises our minds. Third thing that fasting does is it, it, it bestows both virtue and its rewards. And the particular virtue that I would hold out that fasting helps us with is humility. So as human beings, we're dependent upon a lot of things just to survive. We need clothing, we need shelter, we need medicine if we're sick, um, and in a special way, we need food and drink, right? If you go more than 30, 40 days without food, you'll die. If you go more than a, a week without water, you'll die, right? So we're very dependent beings. But the temptation that we have is if these things that we need to survive, if we always have them in abundance, we can begin to think that we are self-sufficient. We can begin to, to think in a sense that, that we're kind of our own gods, that we don't, we don't need help either from anybody else or from God, right? So it's very, very helpful that when you undertake bodily fasting, as soon as you, as soon as you feel like a pang of hunger, we all know what that feels like when you're really hungry and you haven't eaten in a long time, Something that that does is it reminds us that, that we are, are dependent creatures, that we need something outside of ourselves to even just to live a physical life, right? In other words, what it should do is it should remind us that like, I, I need God. And what is humility but a recognition that I am a creature, God is the creator. I'm not master of my own life. I'm dependent upon God for, for, for literally every breath that I take. So bodily fasting, when you, the, the experience of the pang of hunger can help us grow in, in humility. Finally, a last benefit of fasting is that it, it does something that you might describe as, as supercharging our prayer. So all throughout the Bible, whenever different people, particularly we find this in the Old Testament, are desperately in need of God, you see them not just pray, but undergo a fast. When there is a desperate need for God, there's this recognition that not only should we attract his attention by prayer, but, but by, by fasting, right? Queen Esther, when the whole Jewish people is about to undergo extinction from this order of the king of Babylon, she orders a fast, like begging God to intervene and have mercy. The Ninevites, when Jonah goes through the town and announces that the Lord's going to destroy them in three days, their king proclaims a fast for, for everyone in the kingdom, even animals. Very interesting. <laughs> um, when David's infant son that was born of this adulterous union with Bathsheba, when he is sick and dying, David entreats God, not just with prayer, 
but with fasting too. And the examples go on and on. So in our own life as Christians, fasting is sort of like supercharges our, our intercessory prayer when we ask God for something specifically. I have a friend who, when he knows that something big is on the table, <laughs> you know, like he's going to have a really difficult conversation with somebody the next day, he'll often do a 24-hour fast, pleading God for help in that particular conversation or fill in the blank, whatever significant need there is. So fasting kind of supercharges our, our, our prayer. So finally, just to conclude, throw out a caveat that's always important, right? Um, don't take up, or be very, very prudent, I should say, with fasting if you are sick, <laughs> elderly, pregnant, nursing, or also if you've, if, if you've struggled with an eating disorder in the past. In any of these situations, like prudence um, is, is, is extremely necessary. For those who are well and able, though, I would encourage you this Lent to consider fasting more than just the two days that are required. And by fasting, I mean at least just not eating until 3 o'clock. If you want to extend it to like 5 o'clock or something, that's, that's fine too. And just to give you an idea of what this could look like, you might, for example, say, okay, Laetare Sunday is the fourth Sunday of Lent. It's about halfway through Lent. Maybe between now and Laetare Sunday, uh, you say, okay, I'm going to fast on Fridays. Uh, on Fridays, I'm not going to eat until 3 o'clock or 5 o'clock, and I'm going to offer it for this intention, you know. And then maybe after Laetare Sunday, maybe between then and Holy Week, you say, okay, I'm going I'm to do Fridays and Wednesdays. Wednesdays are the other traditional penitential day in the church because that's the day Judas betrayed our Lord. Uh, and so it's always been observed as a, as a penitential day of second importance to Fridays. So you might say between Laetare Sunday and Holy Week, I'm going to do Wednesdays and Fridays. And maybe in Holy Week, you want to say, I'm going to do it throughout the whole triduum or the whole week or, or whatever. But um, exercise prudence, but also don't be afraid. <laughs> don't be afraid of, of, of fasting. The, the benefits are enormous. It's, it's, an, it's an extremely important part of our spiritual patrimony as Catholics that is not really like accessed by many people today. Um, and it will help us restrain our faults and raise our minds to God acquire virtue, especially humility, and, and supercharge our prayers. So, so do not, nor is that old monk, do not be afraid of fasting. Love fasting. <laughs>